Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film, everybody. And this week we have a special guest, and it's our first returning guest. I'm pleased to say we have Paul from World War II TV with us today. Hi, folks. Happy to be back. <laughs> Fantastic. Great to have you on again, Woody. So this week we're covering a film that is very close to Woody's heart, and it is the 1981 football prisoner of war hybrid escape to victory. And as it's the Euros, we thought we'd do it. Yeah, it, it's the perfect time. Um, we are not sponsored by UEFA, but... Never mind. Maybe next year. When did we all first see Escape to Victory? Now, I think for me, it was probably on a Sunday afternoon. Woody, mm. did you see it in cinemas when it came out? I did, but I knew all about it before it was even being filmed. Mm. So it, it, it's a different back thing for me um, because the buzz was just around... The, 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 uh, to introduce myself as being an Ipswich fan who, as you will find out, listeners have an integral part in this movie... Uh, that was 79, 80 was when I was a massive great fan. I'm a big fan now, but that was when you were a kid. It was going there, taking your milk crate down to the front of the stadium, sitting there watching the games. And there was this buzz at the end of the season. And it was a, it, it, it that 79, 80 season finished. We finished third Ipswich. We'd been beaten by Manchester United in the second, Liverpool first. And there, it was like, mm, we could have done more. And then there was, but our players are going off to make a Hollywood film. It was like, okay, then. So that's where I first heard about it. That's great. I love it. It's like for me when, because um, I'm a Luton Town fan, um, unfortunately, and we're in a, we're in um, the Dam United. There's a couple of Luton lads who walk past the camera in like a montage scene. I'm like, that's our moment, Luton on film. So I, I completely forget. I completely know how it feels. But for me, I think it must have been on on ITV4 in here in the UK one afternoon, a bit like Matt. And I've never seen it in its entirety until we I sat down to watch it for the pod. I'd always caught like the last half hour or the first half hour. It was never a movie that I sort of stuck with. So you've always missed Stallone's escape in the middle then? Yeah, that was a shock to me. I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> you've missed the entire yeah. middle plot of the of the film. I mean, for a lad who missed probably 90% of the training, he's, he, you know, becomes a pretty cracking keeper, I must admit. He really pulls it out of the bag. Yeah, he does. Um, so shall we... I think we should start with the cast, really, because this movie is... The cast is outrageous um, in, in anyone's... Um, in anyone's movie, this cast is up there. So for actual proper actors, you've got Michael Caine as Colby, um, who is an ex-West Ham England captain before the war. Uh, you've got Sylvester Stallone as Hatch. He's a Canadian-American ran ranger who sort of is in this camp with, with Kane. Max von Sydow, yep. Steiner. Um, he's, you know, well-revered. Anton Differing as the commentator, but not with his voice, weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. a weird thing. You, Anton Differing from Where Eagles Dare and all those other things, who had a very distinctive German voice for reasons best known to the director in the movie, is dubbed with an English voice ish, even though he's playing a German commentator. I've never understood that one. And if anyone else is watching this, listen to this. And, has just realised that, yeah, Woody's done it again. He's made me question something about that movie <laughs> that I've never thought about, like the Richard Burton in The Wild Geese about his flight. 
the meal on the floor. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't know that. I I honestly didn't know that they dubbed his voice. I never noticed. I know that they dubbed the vo- the the part where he talks about neutral referee or something like that. I mean, I did consider whether it was not just looped, you know, because they it is Anton Differing talking, but loop. But I'm convinced it's not his voice. I'm I'm now convinced it is yeah. someone else doing the voice. And uh, it does seem a bit disembodied in places, doesn't I it? I could be wrong on that because he could he could do other voices. I mean, he was living in Britain for so long. I'm sure he could. He's yeah, an actor, yeah. but I just don't think it's him for some reason. I think they missed a trick by not having Motti. You know, <laughs> yeah, John Watson there in his sheepskin. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I like. Um, is it is it John Walk? He gets a line Ipswich fat uh, town player. Well, he does get a line, except yeah. he's dubbed as well. He's dubbed as well. That's it. Yeah, yes. because his 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 Scots brogue was too difficult. And John Walk. The, the thing is, I I've got I've read all these Ipswich books and stuff like that, where it's kind of legendary thing. And John Walk was with the John Houston. The directors couldn't understand a word he said, so he was he was dubbed. <laughs> poor, poor John Walk. <laughs> John Houston is like. What? Who's this know? <laughs> I know you're going to talk about this later, but that's the weirdness of bringing in an American director for this. Mm. Is that outstanding director John Huston, the family, the le- but to do a football movie, a, a soccer movie, it just you'd have thought mm. they'd have got an international director of some kind who, un- who understood football. But yeah, maybe that's just me. No, I, can, I totally get what you mean. But I think at the time, obviously, the, the North American Soccer League, the NASL, was huge. You know, the New York Cosmos were known by everyone. And he had it. every single player who hit 30 seemed to go over there to sort of finish their careers. After this movie, Bobby Moore played in the NASL to cover for a team who had, who had injuries. Right. Yeah, Mike Summerby's in it as well, that massive Man City um, mm-hmm. hero, you know, legend. He won nearly everything there is to win with, with City. And he just finished playing for Stockport. So it's quite... a Quite a leap, Stockport to Hollywood, or Stockport to Budapest, shall we say. And then you've just got all these sort of big names, like um, Halvar Thornson, he was F- an FC20 uh, player at the time, Paul Van Himst, um, Anders Schleck forward, really yep. famous people. Ozzy Ardiles from Tottenham Hotspur, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, legend. These are peak names. You know, now it'd be Mbappe, Neymar, Ronaldo, but these are the players of the time, and you get to see them, some of them anyway, at the peak of their powers. One thing that's always made me curious is how they came to pick Ipswich players. Like, how how did those guys come to be involved? The legend is, within the Ipswich town supporters thing, is that Bobby Robson was quite a big name. The manager Ipswich, you know, that, he mm. was quite a big name. And, and he was somewhere where some Hollywood guys were talking about, we'll need some people for this film. And... He said, well, we'll do it. We always do a, an overseas um, summer camp thing. Yeah. And it just kind of happened randomly. But, you know, as Robbie was talking, I were talking before we started recording, Ipswich were a huge team in mm. this in this time. That You know, if you're going to pick a team that was really well known, you would have been going for Liverpool, Manchester United, Ipswich, may, maybe Aston Villa. I know people are laughing who are under 40 that Ipswich, a big team, but they absolutely were a big team. Mm. Um, and they had this sort of international reputation for playing football in a kind of a certain way. Yeah. And it just happened. It just happened. Mm. Interestingly, the whole squad were kind of invited to go, but it was the stipulation was that they would have to have their haircuts. And Paul Mariner, who was our centre-forward then, who who had 
a, a 1970s mullet effectively for, and probably still has um wouldn't have his hair cut so some of the first name name team players didn't go out there but but the great majority did and uh, and they assumed they were going to be extras but then in the end they kind of realized they needed this sort of core you know the the ballet company if you like to to for, form this key um football team it's like a it's like a, a video game football manager yeah. kind of thing. they're they're buying in the best player but you've got to you've got to make it look like you're creating a team yeah. so having a core team as part of it so you've got people who know how to pass to each other made made sense and of course as you'll find as you'll find out that they needed a realistic double for Sylvester Stallone in goal, and they need a realistic double for Michael Caine, and they <laughs> yeah, found they those did. two with Paul Cooper, the Ipswich goalie, and Kevin Beatty, the Ipswich mm. centre back, who basically, according to the legend, when they went in the makeup room and came out, when Kevin Beatty stood next to Michael Caine, people were just amazed how how mm. the, the two of them looked perfect. And famously, Kane needed a double because Ozzy Aldila said after the, um, a few years after filming, um, he said that Michael Caine couldn't run. You know, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, he said he couldn't run like 20 yards <laughs> yeah. again out of breath. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like the Galacticos of the, the Allied team are like so famous. And then you go to the German squad and you're like, you could have got Beckenbauer if you tried. You know, Pele was teammates with him not three years before yeah. he retired. So I just think it's odd that they don't, I don't know who wants to play it. Who, you know, Beckham wouldn't be good for Beckenbauer's career, possibly. No. You know, reunification hadn't happened yet. I can understand that. But it is a shame they sort of ignore the German team a little bit because there were German stars at the time. I just think it's it's interesting to leave them out. I think you out. hit the nail on the head. I think they, they would have not leapt at the opportunity <laughs> no. to play yeah. the baddies in a war film. It mm. would have it wouldn't have worked, I think. Um and I think as we as we go on with this conversation about the movie and its structure, I think mm. The lack of the, the the German team don't feel like the enemy. No the Germans as a Third Reich don't feel like it. It, it lacks to me a kind of a baddie. The movie it, it it kind of nearly works, but you don't feel the peril. You don't quite feel there's a there's a there's an enemy. And it's not even like there's a big crunching like centre half on the German team that you go watch him because he'll have you. You know he's a carrying really a luger, hard bastard. Yeah. You know like <laughs> you know, a luger in his sock or something. You know like like. <laughs> You know, it, there, there could be some conflict there, but I totally get it. It doesn't feel like the Germans are pushed as the sort of movie's enemy. Well, by the end of the film, Steiner's literally, like, giving them a standing ovation. I mean, you'd clap that Pele, isn't And ev- every other German officer there is like, oh, we'll have to put him on the list. Yeah. You know, he's, he's there, like, just being her good German, just like, yeah, these allied lads have done a cracking job at playing this football. The thing is, he does look around and say, it's Pele, he's got a scissor kick, lads, come on. You know, it's like, I kind of understand it. Perhaps we should discuss the premise of the film in case anyone hasn't. <laughs> is there one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is it. This is just, you know, the premise of the film is Max von Sydow decides that they should have a friendly football match and the, the Third Reich seizes it as a propaganda moment yeah. and they can portray the, the Allies getting thrashed. Sylvester Stallone is eager for an escape, gets his escape ruined by Michael Caine, but then escapes anyway. Yeah. Um, and then he's forced to break someone's arm so he can join the, the team. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, and so he can be reunited with the French woman he, he fell in love with, with within like three hours. Yeah. So you're now really making it sound really silly now. <laughs> it kind of is though, isn't it? It's it, like, is, it is. Yeah, I think as the director, obviously John Houston, he's he makes adventure films. So for mm. me, this this is his sort of attempt 
uh, prisoner of war movie hybrid with a bit of adventure in the middle just to sort of sedate him and then a quite a well shot football sequence it's almost a it's a good football film that gets spoiled i wonder i wonder if that was by the uh, the, the second unit director it might have been you know I can't imagine Houston being like, make him take that corner kick again. It didn't look quite accurate. You know, I can't really. And he wasn't. Yeah, Stallone wasn't on the back post. Oh, come on. Man on. Man on. <laughs> man on. <laughs> doing no signal, doing yeah. the arm rolling yeah. thing at the side there. Yeah. You blind riff. <laughs> you know, I can't. Yeah. Okay, so let's just remind everyone what, what John Houston had previously directed. The man had like a. a 50-year career. So let, let's run through some of his famous ones. We've got Maltese Falcon in 41. We've got uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre in, in 48. Uh, Asphalt Jungle, 1950. Red Badger Courage, The African Queen, 1950. Battle of San Pietro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Moby Dick, Gregory Peck in 56. The Misfits. And then with Kane, he had The Man Who Will Be King, which is you know an incredible film. Yeah. If yeah. you put The Man Who Would Be King... And escape to victory next that's to not, one another. That's not fair, man. It's 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 night and day, really. It's, yeah. it's bizarre. But, but then after this, he films Annie, which is even more bizarre. It it's maybe he's maybe he's just having a sort of he's just having fun. I I don't know. Yeah, perhaps so. Maybe he wanted to do something different, or maybe he just wanted you know to take some well-paying jobs. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it, on paper, it kind of works, you know. So we're going to take football that everybody in the world watches, and we're going to combine it with a POW escape film like The Great Escape, and everyone, and we're going to make it into an adventure as well. And we're going to take the guy from mm. Rocky. It sounds like it, mm-hmm. surefire, absolute. Bringing those audience together, what could go wrong? Because apparently, um, uh, Roger Ebert says in his he did an interview with Stallone at the time, and he says apparently. Around Hollywood, it was being touted as Rocky, like Rocky meets uh, a Great Escape. Yeah. So it's like I can under- completely get it. But if, yeah, and it's also got like really good like people attached to it. So you've got Jerry Fisher, who was the cinematographer. He did the. He was on Aces High. He worked on Highlander. He also did The Offense with Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. He did Holcroft Covenant um, yeah. with, uh, with Kane as well, which is a, a good film. You also got um, music by Bill Conti, who did all the music for the Rocky franchise, almost all of them, um, and the Karate Kid. Um, and his his uh, music in the movie is heavily, it sounds heavily inspired by The Great Escape to me. Yeah, it definitely is. Some, there's some homage being, being paid there, isn't there? Definitely. Mm. And it, um, yeah, filmed in Hungary in 1980, released on the 31st of July, 1981. Um, and the, the, Stadium, the the Columns or Columns Stadium, it was filled in 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 Budapest by the MTK Stadium. Um, so they filmed it in Budapest because uh, people on the production were worried that Paris didn't it had been rebuilt, um, big big parts of it, and it was too modern. So Budapest filled in for apparently it looked more like East Paris in the forties okay. than it okay. than Paris did. Um, filmed for a um, $12, 12 million dollar budget. It's quite high for the time. Gross twenty seven million, so I think it did quite well for the time. It wasn't a flop, um, although it's hard sell, though, isn't it? Football to Americans, even with Rocky and John Houston and Pele, it's still a hard sell. Oh, and interesting. Off the only little tidbit that I found was, that was really interesting, they had Desmond Llewellyn, who played Q in the Bond films, as technical advisor for the prisoner of war sequences because he himself had been a prisoner of war during the Second World War, which I find oh wow incredible. But he I doesn't have a, that. He doesn't have That's a credit. That's really interesting. 
Yeah, um, that was on the AFI, the American Film Institute um, catalogue. And there's some great information on the film, film there that I found. I mean, the POW camp scenes have a real sense of grounded mm. the the way that the escape committee even the, the way the, the stallone's solo breakout is filmed it's good angles that yeah it's there's there's moments when it's got a real sense of gravitas and it feels like it's up there with the world war ii classics mm. um and the period detail i think is pretty good throughout until you get to the infamous very last scene with the crowd, which we'll get to that later, I guess. But <laughs> it, yeah, there's, there's moments when it has it, everything's all, all the cylinders are firing and then, it, then it just kind of drops off these cliffs of, of weirdness where the tone yeah. doesn't work. Um, and you, and you feel that there was no real single voice behind it, keeping it because it can't be Houston because he doesn't, no, clearly doesn't understand football, so he can't kind of steer that bit. Um, and I think that's where it kind of loses its way sometimes, where no one kind of knows who to stand up to and say, "Yeah, well, this is what we're going to go with here, lads." It, yeah. it just it, it lacks that, and that that needs to bring in Eastern European players seems like a slightly contrived way to remind the audience that the Nazis were bad people killing lots of people in Eastern yeah. Europe but it didn't really work. They'd have been better off not doing that. My whole issue with that scene is that, you know, they look gaunt, you know, they've been through hell. And I really mm. felt for the guys, but I was like, oh, okay, so Kane's going to get them. He's going to revitalise them. They're going to be beefed up, you know, on this special diet that Kane's asked for, which I thought was the whole point of it, of him asking for the good food and extra food, was to build up these prisoners of war to really help them and sort of rejuvenate these guys' careers. And then they would absolutely pummel the Germans at the end, yeah. and it would be all the the polls and the you know that the, the would would score all the goals and win and it would Mark Kane would be just sitting in his manager's chair being like see you've you've liquidated half these people and you've, you're calling them the intermensch and that but look they, they're better than you and that's what I thought would happen but you never would see him again and then they don't yeah they don't turn up again and I'm like really unfair in my opinion to sort of dangle that little tidbit in front of your nose and don't do anything with it it's a shame yeah, and and you and the weird thing is with those five. I think it's it's five years Eastern Europeans arrive in that trap or six, mm. and four or five are just clearly just extras. The guys from Budapest, they're not footballers. Then you've got Dana Casimirez, Dana yeah. who played in Hungary and he played for I think he played for Man City for a while because he's the obviously only one of yeah. those five who's actually a footballer. And he, I think, he makes the bench, doesn't he, for the game? But yeah. you don't see him for some reason. You're right. That whole plot line just kind of disappears half of those like mm. we brought them in you see them eating the the, the soup whatever yeah. it is and then they don't come back to them it it, it, it yeah it, there's 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 things about that film that you wonder whether in post-production or something there was some debates about should we go with that should we carry on with that line there no let's just kind of forget that one yeah because dana's like he, he plays for the um san diego soccer's in, in the in the NSAL. So he was a known star, or he's about to be a known star in the States. So I bet they were kicking themselves when he went over there and, and absolutely, you know, he scored something like 10, 10 plus goals every season. You know, he won a lot of things out there, did really well. Brilliant talent. Yeah. You know, one of those absolute legendary forward, yeah. And then you've got the whole escape thing, which to me doesn't go anywhere either because Kane doesn't, Kane acts like he doesn't want to escape. And it, it's like thrust upon him and he's like, oh, I've got to escape. I'm like, but don't you want to? 
I kind of don't understand his character at times because he sometimes just seems like. And then it, at the end, when they are escaping, he's like, "Come on, we're going now." Yeah. And they're all like, "No, no, we want to stay and play." And he's like, "Oh, they want to stay and play." And he goes like, "But you, you think you can beat them?" And it's yeah. like, "What?" But Kane, you, do you actually, you know, you, do you want to they, be? A they really of war? don't know what they're doing, Michael Kane, throughout the whole film because he's clashing more with his own fellow officers than he does with the Germans. He has quite yeah. a nice relationship with Steiner, Max von Sydow. You know, that's one of the main problems with this film. There is no hard and fast sort of antagonist. It's just this sort of um, ethereal, you know, evil Nazi Germany sort of yeah. you know background. And then you have Steiner who's like, do you want to play football? We'll have a football game. Um, and, you know, Michael Caine's up for it. And from then on Steiner's sort of like just like a push over he's like oh you want more food okay and well I can't really do that but oh here's more food oh you want Eastern Europeans to play I can't possibly do that they aren't even seen as human beings um here's the Eastern Europeans you can have them um you know oh you mm. want you want to have um the guy that's in the cooler back on the team no we can't possibly do that oh you've broken someone's arm okay then yes you can have mm. it, it just doesn't Max von Sydow's character doesn't have any backbone, and he isn't the mm. evil Nazi. He's the you know he's head good German. It's that trope of like, when they even when they introduce him at the start, it's like oh that's this is Steiner. You know he's yeah. gonna crack down on you lot, and then he doesn't, and you're like, oh. To me, Kane is the character that doesn't work, and I love my hook. I think when when he's on his game, he's a brilliant mm. actor, mm. and he can also do a, a, a crap performance. But I think. We know, and I just I just was started reading uh, yesterday Alex Churchill's book about Chelsea in the First World War, and we mm-hmm. know that in the First World War, Second World War, football just stopped. Yeah, there's it. Yeah. We love football. like like as we're living in this COVID era now, and football just for a while last season stopped because it's like we all love football. Matt doesn't. Most of, a lot of us do. But it's like <laughs> actually, there's more important things that are, are, are globally important now. Football. We love it. It has to be relegated. And, you you know, Michael Caine is portraying an infantry officer. He's been in the war somehow. How has he still got sport as his number one focus? I don't... If he's an yeah. officer, he must... Has he been captured at Dunkirk? He's, surely he's had men killed under him. He's been captured in North, captured in North Africa. There's yeah. no backstory. This obsession he has with it being a sport, and I'm not going to try and escape because I'm not... I don't. I don't really buy it. I, mm. and it. Maybe if they if they had found if the Germans had found him living in some weird other part of the world where he had been a 1930 football and and the World War Two had passed him by somehow and perhaps he didn't even know there was a war, and they plucked him and put him in there to train the the, the team. That kind of makes sense. But he's a soldier, and I don't. I don't get what his character's motivations and at all. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't work. And he should have just played the coach, not the player because Agreed, yeah. he's too fat at the time. And seeing him attempting to run around the pitch, mm. what was he? He was born in 33. So 80, so it's uh, 47. Yeah. 47. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but doesn't look his best. If you look at him, I mean, it's the, I mean, 76 Eagle has landed. He looks in really good form does, there, yeah. but five years, I think the, the latter seventies, I don't think was Michael. I think that was his trifle period. I think he wouldn't, his he wouldn't have been a player. Period. He wouldn't have been a playing player. No. In 39 at that age. Yeah. He well, you get been... that a bit. Actually in the twenties and thirties, you do get players playing into their he would late have been 42. 30s. 
43. That's quite old. It is. It's, it's pushing it. It's pushing it. Yeah. And it's very old for a captain as well. If he'd been captain at, Dun- at Dunkirk, perhaps. Maybe he's, maybe he's a, um, uh, a TA captain. But that doesn't, if he's a TA captain, that makes his motivation even less sense because it shows that he's a, a soldier. He, he's, he's an accidental soldier, isn't he? That's the, 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 the vibe they're giving you is he's just a sportsman who happens to be in khaki because he was called up. But that doesn't, that doesn't fit with a commissioned, he's a commissioned officer. He's been, mm. you know, I can't believe I'm criticizing a film that I love because of the Ipswich connection. But yeah, that's the purpose is to discuss it, you know, dispassionately and subjectively. It has its merits elsewhere, though. We were just discussing one of the bits where it falls down. Because I always felt Kane's character, if he'd had his leg broken and he couldn't have played in the match and then he had to be the coach. And mm. it's sort of like, I'm not going to have a career after the war, but I can stick it to the Germans. Something like that. As I say earlier, there's no conflict. No one has any conflict to overcome in the way they should do. Stallone sort of forgets, I think, who he is halfway through the movie. Mm. It's all a bit weird, isn't it? It's Yeah, so he's he's escape obsessed at the beginning. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's completely focused on it. He's very much in the sort of the McQueen sort of mindset of he wants to escape it's his you know duty as an officer and then he's very reluctant to assist in the escape of a larger number of of his fellow officers so it turns out that his motivation isn't that of you know an officer trying to escape as duty he just wants to escape Mm. because he doesn't he isn't going to come back into the camp and aid the escape of the rest of the team like the uh the the commanding officers of the camp the 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 uh, the prisoners once so he's kind of reluctant to do that and then he does do it so it's it's a little bit it's meandering he's he's got like mm. a weird meandering character and then there's that whole sequence where he's in paris with is it renee the lady he meets he's in a safe house anyway so he speaks decent french throughout the whole escape you know he's a ticket office ordering tickets you know he's chatting to uh sentries um he manages to navigate his way around paris and then as soon as he gets into this lady's um flat he's like parley the english <laughs> and his french just goes and he can't speak french so there's even like this such is the fun- power of the boner <laughs> 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 language is lost yeah, yeah. So, so there's the continuity of that that sort of like just falls away as well. Mm. It's and then the sort of annoys me in that sequence that Matt mentioned because the resistance are portrayed as very lazy and sort of uncaring. He goes, "Oh, we need to get these guys out of the go." No, 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 can't possibly happen. He goes, "Oh, but it's going to be at the Kaloum Stadium," and they're like, oh, "Kaloum Stadium, that changes everything." I'm like, "What?" I think it's fair to say the French resistance aren't really given a particularly nuanced. No. examination it, it, they're kind of there just to flesh out the main plot and they're a bit yeah. cliched and leather jackets and berets and you know <laughs> there's more that it's more the top secret val kilmer kind of portrayal than it <laughs> yeah, is the, yeah. the kind of serious passage to marseille kind of but yeah that's fine it is what it is if uh, if Stallone had started singing skeet surfing, I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it, now we're discussing it. It's interesting that it, that the, its um, unevenness and its weaknesses are kind of coming through to me. Um, and yet, some things it does so so well.
In terms of production, I suppose we should also discuss a little bit about the films that, and the event that it was based on. Oh, um, yes. So it's, yeah. it's sort of based on the concept, or well, it's, it's sort of based on uh, a football match which supposedly took place in 1942 between uh, Germans and uh, Ukrainian prisoners of war. And there's a number of films made in Eastern Europe in the Com Block in uh, the, the mid-60s about this. So there's a, there's a Russian movie called uh, The Third Half from 1963. And then there's a Hungarian film um, called uh, Two Half Times in Hell, which is probably a very poor translation of the, the original mm. Hungarian title, which is beyond me, I'm afraid. My Hungarian is very poor. Um, but I think it's really interesting that that film has much the same sort of plot minus the Stallone-esque figure and then it ends with not a triumphant escape with the aid of a, of a crowd that has been buoyed by some fantastic football it's the team that is um, responsible for their own deaths basically in that film they don't believe that the Nazis will shoot them for winning if they if they win they're told not to win basically I believe and the film ends with them being gunned down on the pitch. Yeah, and you get that wide shot of them all dead. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautifully shot scene, very powerful. And it's so, it's really powerful. Mm. When I saw that scene, it really got me. Yeah. And then you watch this move, this one, and you're like, where the fuck are the stakes? Because there aren't any. No. Not even, not you know, and you have to assume that those, the, the prisoners of war that they got out of the gulag were with them. They didn't look like they were when I saw let's it. Let's hope they were. Let's hope they were. You know, that movie is everything this movie isn't. And I don't know how the transition across is like, obviously you can't, you can't gun down Bobby Moore, you know, <laughs> no one would want to see that. that. But it, as we game, we've come back to it again. There's no stakes. There's no enemy. No one feels in danger. Really. It's tough. Isn't it? It's a tough one because that, that those movies, they really have a, they have a message to say, you know, very anti-fascist those movies. Yeah. Um, but then this one doesn't really have any agenda. It, it, what happens is it is the victory in the football game becomes the major achievement. But in fact, they should have structured it in such a way that there's actually this overarching th- uh, victory over fascism, over evil that somehow yeah, be, yeah. make the football game should be allegorical for a greater victory, but actually it is just about getting more goals than the Germans. Yeah, it's and just the Germans we've match, said, the German team in the film are not established enough. No. The Bauman who was the who who played who was playing for New York Cosmos and what have you is not German enough to carry Werner Werner Roth is not stereotypically German enough to make you the audience kind of buy into it. I know it would have been a cliche, but I think making him more of a Wolf Carla kind of blonde guy yeah. would have mm-hmm. given him a better. Yeah. I I don't know. How, I think the the lead German player should have been an actor, not a footballer, because he doesn't look menacing, does he? When he's when he's squaring up to Stallone, you just think, yeah, yeah you. Stallone would have you. He pushes it. Literally pushes him away in the sequence. Yeah. Get it doesn't. Off, it doesn't pushes work. Pushes me away. Yeah. In the way, and even if the commentator had said. Oh, and this is you know Hans, and he's been on the Eastern Front, and he, he you know he blew up ten he's T well thirty fours yeah like last week, but now he's back for the German squad. If it had established them as double hard heroes of yeah. the Wehrmacht, yeah, 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 then you would have been like, oh dang, like these guys are going to really give Ozzy Ardila. Well, it doesn't even establish them as being like Germany's best football players. I mean, 
There's, the commentator mentions it briefly. They do mention uh, the keeper, played by yeah. Ipswich's reserve keeper, Laurie Civil, who is now a fishmonger in Lowestoft. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and Robin Turner, who was an Ipswich kind of reservist, plays the German winger. So there were two two Ipswich players in the German eleven, and and that and and that's weirdly we're bringing up this idea of it being a legendary thing to Ipswich fans because that is Laurie Civil who played the keeper's greatest moment. That is essentially his FA Cup medal. The, the thing he'll be remembered for by Ipswich, he was a great keeper, actually, very brave, but he was only five foot four. He was very short for a keeper. But in Escape to Victory, he's the legendary German keeper, Schmidt, I think they call yeah. him. Yeah, he made some top saves as well. Yeah, yeah, he was a good keeper. Yeah. But that is how, if we as Ipswich fans want to see the best of Laurie Civil, we kind of have to watch Escape to Victory. And becoming a fishmonger, you could say from catch of the match to catch of the day, couldn't you? But dum dum. Matt's face there for. <laughs> I, I just know you were just waiting for Woody to finish his point, and you really wanted to make that joke. I was aching to do it. You were. You were so <laughs> eager to make that joke. I couldn't help it. It's just it's low hanging fruit that was. It'd have to be bloody low because I'm five foot five. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's amazing though. I think if you're not a listener from the UK. Now that you could say they're like a very regional team, yeah. But I think it's incredible that you have, you know, there's a set of fans of a certain age, and this is no detriment to Woody at all. But you know, if you want to relive your youth, you don't quite get to do it the way that Ipswich Town fans get to do it. And I think that possibly is one of the film's overarching good points is that it really does capture when English football was not in a dark place. It's not the mid eighties yet. You know, it hasn't been overtaken by hooliganism and all that, but as we, as we are now just getting back into, you know, English teams are dominating Europe again. We were double hot in the, in the seventies and eighties at producing these fantastic teams that you wouldn't think, you know, you get your Nottingham forests, you get your Aston Villas, you get your Ipswiches. And I think it's incredible that, there's a movie like this that that does glorify them, and it come they come off a season where they've won the European Cup. I mean, come on, you just have to like the best that. the best of football. I mean, that uh, uh, without them trying to go for that, it is showing the camaraderie. Yeah, and and it was it, in the, in a weird way, paradoxically, it's it's forward thinking because that eleven that go out on the pitch are like a typical modern Premier League mm. eleven in that you've got a Norwegian, a Dutchman, a Belgian, a German. Well, not a German, they on the other side, a Scotsman, an Englishman. <laughs> But actually, most English teams in 79-80 were either were full of home nations. It was Scots, mm. Irish, because Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa were the yeah. two Argentines who went to Tottenham Hotspur. And Arnold like Muir and Franz Tyson went to Ipswich. They mm. were, for about one season, the only four international players that played in the top league in England. And people under... 30 now and thinking what do you mean there's only four foreign players in the English top league that's how it was yeah and it's I think it's also great that they get their moment to shine as well um you know Aussie Ardiles in it is I think he's great and he gets a lion doesn't he as well spring is that you warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles meet the super light collection the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors these must-have travel shoes have a lighter than air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever plus they're comfy right out of the box that means more comfort and less baggage experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort visit allbirds.com and use code super 24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of 48 dollars or more that's a-l-l-b-i-r-d-s.com code super 24 
I can't yeah. remember. But he's great. It's just nice to see him. He's one of those just lovely, thoroughly lovely chaps. I think it's just great. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. Woody, as you're the guest this week, regale us with your... It'd be difficult, I must admit, because it's, it's not a great... It doesn't have any set, you know, battles in it or anything. The only battles on the pitch. But what did you have for your Ali Tally this week? The playing kit. I mean, it's, it, it is... Has to be. Just about one of the best kits worn by any team even in a, a fictional universe ever because you whatever team you you support you play whether you're american or british listening to this your team whether it's the you know the bears or the whether it's basketball baseball american football but it, most kits are crap but when you look back at kits <laughs> of the past they are of the era and you go oh my god did we wear that back in 1973 89 94 but that kit with the red, white, and blue stripes down it is just so cool. And yeah. even today, Ipswich fans on the forums post pictures of themselves going off to the stadium in Budapest, or they have they go they have escaped to victory parties and stuff. And even middle-aged guys with beer guts can still look cool in the escape to victory kit, yeah. which to me is the, the hallmark of a classic kit. And the fact it's being reproduced by numerous co- uh, countries. I'm, I I can't decide whether I like the white of the of the of the of the field players or whether I like Stallone's blue shirt. I, it's just cool. It's a brilliant kit. It's timeless, isn't it? And at the time, you know those those vertical stripes were in. You see a lot of teams that mm. had that. I mean, Michael Luton, We for for loads of seasons in the seventies and eighties, we had a big a big left handed stripe going down the shirt. And that was, you know, and you get all those admiral kits with the big wide collars. And it it really does, it, it even evokes memories of sort of that era of football by having the big collars and things. But the, you got, can't ignore the German kit because that looks, they look evil in it. You know, it's got the swastika eagle on it. It looks mm. great. But it also is, did some research about the German kits of the 38 World Cup. And it really does look similar to those. The only thing that's different is it was white with a red collar. So it's like a, you know, um, the next season's kit. So Adidas now they make the German kit. They release one every year. So in the world of Escape to Victory, I like to think that was it German kit maker like Rauch or something. You know, they've or Sondico or someone they've like made the next one on. Like I quite like Krupp. that. I, did Krupp, Krupp make football Krupp kits as well as, it, yeah. as, well as ammo? Yeah. <laughs> this year's sponsors are Krupp. This year we bring you eight <laughs> yeah. millimeter shells and the German national kit. Season 42, 43. <laughs> Love it. That's great. The kits were designed by um, Tom Bronson, who was the costume designer. And he, he worked on a couple of uh, Stallone films like Cobra oh. and First Blood. Wow. And I think he, I think he was on uh, 48 Hours as well. Mm. That's really good. So he, he did some iconic stuff in the 80s. I'm surprised Admiral didn't snap him up because they are really good kids. <laughs> you know? Which also you had to mention, because you mentioned, Matt, about... Stallone giving him a Queen vibe. The mm. fact he has a leather jacket, you kind of feel he wants to do one on McQueen. There's a yeah, he, yeah. he did a leather jacket. I can do a cooler one because I've got the hat as well. Because he has, has the he has the newsboy like I wear. He kind of he's trying to yeah. out McQueen, McQueen. And if anyone can out McQueen, it's it's Stallone in that eighty eighty one period. You know that's when he's at his peak. You know in terms of world fame and and coolness. He even gets the scene where he gets to like 
almost be like he's semi-naked in it so you get to see like you know his pecs and stuff or whatever his, yeah. like, you know, his muscles and i'm like he's just that's just that's got to be in the contract somewhere like stallone must show his you know bare chest to sort of show that he's the alpha male in the group this comes up to the, the, the legendary story that Ipswich fans relate is Kevin Beatty, who famously doubled, doubled for Michael Caine, who was from Carlisle, northeast of England, and was really, really strong, just renowned for his strength. He worked in down kind of coal mines as a kid or something like that, and he, he was a kit, kit boy for a long time. They'd finished the scenes. There was hit, it was uh, Beatty, uh, Russell Osman, who played um, the English the English player, and John Walker, who played the Scottish player of the team, they're having a few beers, film's done, and Stallone comes over and sits at the table in a bar in Budapest, and he says to Beatty, I hear you're, I hear you're pretty strong. And Beatty kind of goes, yeah. And, he, and, and this is when Stallone was getting ready. He was getting, he had the um, the pre-production script for Over the Top, the, the arm wrestling oh, yeah. movie that came out a couple of years later. And he challenges uh, Kevin Beatty to an arm wrestle. And you know, still, and 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 Beatty said, "I looked at Stallone's arm, and he had muscles on his muscles on his <laughs> muscles." And, and Beatty was that kind of that nineteen fifties fit, like Robert Mitchum was that kind yeah, of where you're yeah. big, but you're not you're not all pecs Ripped, and yeah. and gristle. Our shape, in shape. Anyway, Beatty beat him in one arm wrestle, beat <laughs> him in a second arm wrestle, and like and and, and Stallone got really pissed and, and kept coming back to Beatty over the course of the film. And kept losing arm wrestle after arm wrestle, and for the rest of the film didn't talk to him. <laughs> and and that was that. Yeah, and that is, is the legendary story that Kevin Beatty, who was you know he was he was twenty four, twenty five when he made no no bit no, he retired at twenty six. Yeah, about twenty. Yeah, it wasn't that. And you know he beat Sylvester Stallone at arm wrestle. That's the story. All Ipswich fans is that you think Stallone's tough? Our centre half Kevin Beatty was tough because he never he never let Stallone beat him in an arm wrestle. That's great. I love it. Absolutely love it. Matt, your rally? Uh, my pick is actually uh, the camera that the forger in the camp puts together. Thank God. Thank God someone is going to highlight something that isn't football. <laughs> yes. That's my one job this week. Well done, Matt. So, yeah, so Stallone's getting ready for his solo escape um, before Michael Caine and his bloody football team ruin his escape. Uh, he's he, he's going to the various places, going to the tailor and the forger, etc. In the camp, which is cool. Um, mm. A little nod to um, Great Escape, and I'm sure Desmond Llewellyn gave him pointers on what was realistic. Mm. Uh, and he he visits uh, the forger, who's played by uh, Clive Merrison, and he was really great in that tiny role. He, yeah. he really he really owns it, um, and he has some good lines too. Um, so they they clear out the room and they put like a bed sheet down over one of the bunks um stallone's putting on like a shirt a tie and a, and a jacket for a for you know just a passport photo type deal and while he's doing that the forger's getting down a lantern and he, he takes the back of a lantern puts like a, a little um camera body down the back of the lantern takes uh, a pair of spectacles and takes the lens out and puts the lens into like the front of the lantern to make you know like a, like, like a camera objective lens and Sloane sets it down and the forger takes the photograph with this really cool, it's a really nice prop too, and he gets some really close camera shots of it. And um, Stallone's like one more full look because, you know, he, he thinks he's blinked or something. And uh, the forger just goes, you know, film's too valuable. 
Yeah. He couldn't possibly take another one. And he has another great line and he says, um, Stallone asks him how long it'll take for him to develop the photo and when, when the like forged papers will be ready. And he says, well, it's my busy time. Everyone wants to escape during the good weather, which I just, I just really like that little, mm. it's because it's probably true, but it's a very, you know, just, just a little glib, little off the cuff line that the, the forger delivers really nice. Like I think Clive Merrison is really good in that little scene, but mm. that camera stood out to me and I thought that's cool. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that you could imagine they would have done. He definitely gives Donald Pleasance a run for his money for forges. I wonder if he knows much about birds, though. The uh, the framing of that scene, his little part of the hut where you, you assume all the devious little tricks yeah. and things to get out happen. I like how he sort of moves this little bit and there's something there. It's all very... Yeah, very he's well going to the roof and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. There's yeah. attention to detail there that is maybe more than it needs to be for actually such a short sequence because the... Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, the Great Escape, Albert RN, Danger Within, the sea, it's all about the camp. Mm. The camp you only see for, I don't know, 20 minutes total screen time. It's either on the training pitch or there's the hut the prisoners use, and then it's boom, they're in Paris. So mm. they, 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 the, the way they set up, it adds you know, the guard towers, the Germans with the sentries, and the, there's, there's a, the camp looks really good. Yeah, there's an aerial shot at the start, isn't it, where you get to see the yeah. whole thing, and I'm like, well, oh, okay. You did you know you, you've got an actual camp there? You know it's 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 in, it's very impressive. Apparently, it was built on the grounds of a stables. So the buildings you see in the background are part of the old stables, and then they build the huts and the enclosure. And then it kind of clashes with the rest of the film in that it isn't as detailed in the mm. mise en scène sort of stakes. You get that super detailed bit, and there's a couple of scenes where they're in in one of the huts talking to the the British officers. That's just that's just one little thing that I thought that's that's really cool. Like, yeah, I, I, like that I wonder, mm. I wonder where that came from. Perhaps it was something Desmond Llewellyn suggested, mm. Mm. or it was just something that the the writer, the screenwriter, had gone. Do you know what we need? We need a really cool sequence where a guy puts together a camera out of bits and nothing. Perhaps it's to make his escape more believable. You know, if all this effort's being put in to get him out, then when those sort of sequences fall a little bit flat. At least in your head, you're like, well, they did the work to get him out there. So it maybe it reinforced. Maybe they knew it was a weak middle where Stallone goes off a li- for a little bit. Um, so they were like, we've got to make the bits where he escapes really good. So Well, I would I would say that the bit where he's actually escaping is probably one of the best bits of the film. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we get that prep. It's, it's once he's out that's a bit boring. Yeah. yeah, that's something once he's out, it sort of falls flat. But those parts of him actually building up to it, it all yeah, sounds yeah. like it's very intrinsically done, and I do appreciate that in the film. I like the fact they went to the, the lengths they did. It's very, it's very great escape, and you know yeah. what he's mentioned, other examples. It's very in those lines of an escape movie where you know they have the process of clearing it with the escape committee, going to the forger, going to the tailor. We don't get a ten-minute scene where you know Roger's shown some lovely, handmade civilian garments from, <laughs> from uniforms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know we do get you know the, the Forge's camera which is pretty cool but it weirdly leads because when Stallone gets returned to the camp mm-hmm. it, it it's the, the jumping the shark moment really is the fact they managed to get him back in the squad because yeah. the, 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 the keeper Kevin O'Callaghan who's a winger for Ipswich not a keeper who has to have right. his arm broken is is the only other keeper now the thing is you've seen that sequence earlier when when they discover Pele there's like mm. hundreds of guys playing yeah. football. And yeah. you go, you're telling me that in this whole camp, there's not someone who else who can also 
stop goals and the only and the only person is the american i can just say the germans going fuck off no yeah. you can't have him you don't you don't know just, just feel like i felt like they're some like really good keepers like 300 appearances of preston north end and like the next heart and he's like lads lads, lads yeah that's <laughs> holding up his winner's medals you know? yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, I, know I, I know you have to bring I know you have to set up the thing of the escape you yeah. have to get Stallone out and you have to have him back in the team but it's just a it doesn't make sense that the Germans would let him come back they just go no find well, someone it's else also super captain. contrived that he is the goalkeeper because yeah, 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 yeah. there's there's some really confusing bits in, in that you know the initial like training montage bits where they're like playing and he's, he's kind of like he rugby tackles someone like mid like mid game yeah. it's obviously american football and he's an american football player because he talks about being i'm a ball player well isn't that what they call baseball mm. anyway, anyway um but he's basically talking about being an fo- american football player and he says we play with our hands not our feet and all this which is not true because yeah. they do kick the ball um but he he basically sort of like tackles one of the guys and kane says something really interesting where he's like i've been telling you for a year you don't do that so have they been in the same camp playing football together for a year? So by it's now, it's taken still, him a year to realize. Yeah, you you can't, yeah Stallone should know that yeah. you don't rugby tackle people because he's watching at the start. He's watching them play. Yeah, and then he's like yeah. with you. Sort of see him with Kane, and I assume he was like his. Yeah, you assume they're friends, kind of, don't you? And if you've been watching men play football for so long, you'd know. You, you would notice people not rugby tackling people mid-game, though, wouldn't you? I mean, it's. If you're if you're thinking, oh, what are the differences between the American and the British game? Oh, we don't tackle people in the British game. Okay, that mm. makes sense. Yeah, I think the know. problem is that we're now having a conversation that they the producers never wanted anybody yes. to have. They didn't want <laughs> anybody. Let's just hope nobody tries to analyze this because it's just gonna it's gonna Let's fall apart three really English rapidly, folks. You know, so in, uh, in forty years time, <laughs> don't try and do a podcast on this film. And pick apart our plot. Some really old yeah. Lorimer Productions big wigs. Those goddamn fighting on film boys, they only gone and done it. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we got away from it for 40 yeah. goddamn <laughs> years, and they've seen through a wafer thin plot that makes no sense. But it's nice. It's nice that you know they realize, oh, wait, he can play with his hands. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a nice transition. So he's a goalkeeper. It. I mean, it would have made more sense if he'd been like a basketball player. But and again, you'd think if he's been watching it for a year, you'd know. They'd yeah. have thought, "Have a go, oh, and you go, mate." Go you know, it, 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 the revelation of that is silly. Because you could have really. had a funny line where he goes, "Oh, he's the Yank. He used to tackle us all, but you know, we thought he uses his hands, so he might as well use him in goal." That's literally the line you make. Yeah, and, you know. Yeah, but they just wanted they just wanted Pele taking shots at him. That's all. That's... So my alley this week is it's just one thing. And it's there's a character called Scotty, the, the escape committee like leader, um, and he is wearing in in an early on scene where he's talk he's actually talking to Stallone about who are you and he says oh, I'm a American Canadian or Canadian American can't remember um, you know captured at Dieppe it annoys me that he's not a ranger because rangers were at Dieppe it's just a little tidbit there that I thought they could have used but he's wearing Scott the Scotty character a horrendous 80s chunky knit cardigan. And it just, for me, I don't even know if it's 40s. I, I don't think it is, isn't it very 40s to me, but it just stands out like a sore thumb. It's like something that David Soul would wear in Starsky and Hutch or something. It's just, 
and there were no Bedfords. So there weren't any Bedfords. Yeah. No Beddies this week. Yeah. No. Is he is he purely called Scotty because he's in the Scots Guards? Is that it? I assumed so. But he's yeah. got a little bit of tartan on his beret. He does. Yeah. That's why he's Scots Guards. Yeah. 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 Mm. I think it's Scots Guards anyway. I could be wrong. Might be Black. Well, I thought it was Black Watch. Oh, it might be. I don't know. I can't remember. I, can't I, remember. I, I, did, I didn't. I'm only thinking about that now. I didn't actually pay any attention. No, I just I've never paid attention to that. But yeah, that that cardigan is is very nice. I mean, definitely one, David Soul esque. At least there wasn't a zip on it. That you know that <laughs> that, that would have really... been really funny. Yeah. Well, the zips aren't te- kind of wrong. Yeah, they're not ahistorical. That's true. But it, you know, where would he have gotten a zip? Mm. To, you know, he spent all that winter knitting that that cardigan. Where would he have found a zip? He spends months bribing a guard. A <laughs> guard thinks he's going to want a gun or travel. But actually, I just want a zip. And he, Twelve inches. And he, and he two feet zip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just another quick one is the most of the players seem to be wearing period boots, the big, the big sort of hobnailed boots in, in yeah. the football scenes, which is quite mm-hmm. nice. You know, mm-hmm. I thought in the sequences you'd see like a pair of like blacked out Copa Mundials or something in there, but I don't think you do. So it was quite nice to see. Which I think you should bring brings you on to the the realism of the realism of the football scene. Robbie and I were talking before we went live, you know, recorded that the intrinsic difficulty of taking a game that's spontaneous and trying to choreograph it. And, and again, the Ipswich players who were on it yeah. um, talk about the fact some of the game is they just said, go out there and play and yeah. just we'll film it and get what we got. But obviously they've got to do this. They've got to have the goals. They've got to have the, the, the players they've identified do their stuff. And it, it, from a footballing point of view, it is seamless when you watch it. It does mm. genuinely look like a real match. It, mm. it doesn't feel uh, out of out of sync anywhere. When when Kevin Beatty is running for Michael Caine, you can see that it is him sometimes. And at long distance, you can see that Paul Cooper saving for Stallone is doing coming down correctly. It it doesn't jar. No, the football is done really well. It's a really good advert for the beauty of the game, and yeah, you know, the, the the sequence is famously choreographed by Pele. But you can imagine the difficulty of actually putting that on screen with a director who doesn't understand it, a cinematographer who probably doesn't understand it, director of photography probably doesn't understand it. Filming it in Eastern Europe, probably half the crew don't speak English. Players who've never actually, pl- well, apart from the Ipswich lads, they've never played together in the same film. And you've got to, yeah, I know that's part of the plot. They've been put together, although they have been playing in this camp for a year or two mm. together. But making it look like a real game of football, I think, is 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 its crowning achievement, that film, is that, that if the football looked shit, because I know American football fans who say the football in mash the football in the longest yard at times just doesn't look real because you can tell it's been filmed it does look like a real football game i 100 percent agree there my fave scene is that whole football sequence it's got to be one of the greatest bits of football filmed for a movie the thing about football movies the one all the ones that i've watched they're never really about the football so like the no. first goal film that came out in like 2005 it's god awful but it maybe has like 20 minutes of football in it and it's all sort of hyper choreographed they've got scenes where they've taken like crowds from premier league matches because it was a it was a fifa funded trilogy of films but yeah it's not it's not good and then there's loads of other football films that i could just read off the top of my head and they don't do it as well you have to love pele or more 
you know, John Walk <laughs> doing their thing. It's just, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Who I know, I know, I know Steiner gets in trouble for standing up and clapping that Pele scissor kick, but I bloody would. You know, I, I rewatched the Ozzy Ardilis, uh rainbow flick a few times because it's yeah. just it's just fantastic you know if you're yeah a football, that is beautiful yeah, yeah exactly i'm not super into football I, I don't mind watching it now and then but i'm not a huge fan and even i can appreciate some of those bits you know like the yeah pelle's overhead kick yeah that you see four times in slow-mo because it's so good and just capturing that would have been quite difficult when you think about it but, but pelle would have been able to turn it on well, exactly. And he does turn it on because some of those bits where he's dribbling around the Germans, it, it's just, it's it's beautiful to watch. Mm. It's like Pelle at his best. Yeah. We, I mean, we know that they aren't, you know, tackling him because they've been told not to tackle at that point because they're trying to film that bit where he's... Skipping past know, him, yeah. Yeah, skipping mm. past everyone. Really great. Really, really well choreographed, like mm. you say. And there's even parts where you you see, like, the, it must be bits of the match they just filmed and you've got the, the Ipswich players just shunning off two-footers and, like, shoulder barges and stuff. And I'm like, that's another great cross-section of how football was played back then. You know, you didn't have VAR, you didn't have, you know, questionable sort of challenges just being blown up for everything. There's loads of yellow cards in the game there where there shouldn't be and all this sort of thing. It's just impressive to see players at the time just getting on with it. And I think we should do a shout-out to the, the sound editor. Yes, because that the 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 thudding of the 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 bodily crunches, the the thwacking of the ball and the crowd, and we're going to come on to the bit when it all goes victoire. That sound sequence, that 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 fifteen minute bit when it's building to a crescendo, there, that is, I believe, Oscar winning sound editing. There, that that yeah. is just brilliantly done uh, you'd be easy to have the balance all wrong where you get the crowd too heavy you can't see it reminds me of this this year with football with the crowds not being in the stadium you can hear the crunching of the ball and the tackling again mm. and that that so, so clearly the sound editor understood football mm. whoever he was you could look him up while we're recording this understood football because that is just brilliantly done yeah and it, it feels like a real match i must admit yeah. it does for you know they've got a full stadium full seat stadium they didn't bother dressing any of the supporters in 40s clothing. Because... The front row or two. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just, just bring your anorak, lads. <laughs> yeah, anoraks. And... <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's more than, uh, you know, a, a bridge too far and Kelly's hero is bothered to do. Yeah. You know, the front two rows. So yeah. Yeah. they can, they can props for that. But yeah. And then, you get, you know, then you get the great scene where they all, they all get them out. They all like, you know, they win. Come on the pitch yeah. and get them out. It's just, it is a good. Where ending. Bill Conti's score comes yes. into its own. Then again, the sound editing there, where it transitions from the match, mm. to the vic- and you know that. And I defy anybody. You've laughed at some of the Michael came running around yeah. with his beer belly. We've laughed at some of the contrived situations of Stallone. But if you're watching that for the first time, those who have never heard of this movie, who are listening to this, who go out and watch it, if you are not buoyed by that. Victoire chant and all those French yeah, played by yeah. Hungarians. You can kind, you can't, you do kind of buy into World War Two being fought on that pitch for a few minutes. It's silly and it's contrived, but you do kind of get into the symbolism there of the importance of that victory. And then they win the match and they escape because yeah. you're not expecting escape. 
you're not, you know, they've tr- they, they've resisted. You know, we haven't going to give the spoiler alert. They've resisted the opportunity to go at half time, and they're going to go back on them and win the game. And you're not really expecting the outcome that that's coming your way. And I think it's just that, that brilliant sequence. And if I may add, the closing credits of the of the of the slow mo shots of the players, and it's just brilliantly really done. Really good. And it, for me, that and that's the whole annoying thing about that ending as well. Could that not have been the escape plan all along? Was to whether we win or lose, the resistance will joy the crowd that get the crowd up to then storm the pitch to get them out that way because that just makes yeah, so they much could have been sense. showed like shearing off some like um, padlocks on gates and stuff, you know. On, Except on the, it would have it would have spoiled the surprise because of course, you, you of course, see the audience yeah. have gone through the but they've had their opportunity because it's all been planned. It, if if we'd known that was the way, unless we could, they could have somehow revealed that that was what the resistance had planned, but the team mm. didn't know. But then, well, the, you could have had some shots of the resistance in the crowd going, "This is our chance! Come on, everyone!" And they try and like mm. get everyone mm. to go in because it's you'd never find those lads in that crowd, especially they get given their flat caps and their jackets. Well, the, I suppose that also that that spontaneity of the crowd mm. with the the Vitois, mm. um chant and the you know the the pitch invasion that's the victory and you get some nice shots of the of the crowd sort of like trying to take k98s off the guards and stuff how no one gets shot in that sequence is a bloody yeah the germans would have opened up probably yeah long before they got on the pitch i think that it's interesting is you know your other shows and wild geese and i've listened to your other ones is that so many of these classic movies don't remake them just leave them where they are this i reckon actually might benefit from a remake just take the essential plot and in and tweak and improve the bits that don't quite work and just nudge it into a bit more bit more historical detail because you'd get the you'd get the football players you'd get the you know imagine it with some of today's today's premier stars and what have you it it could be done again i remember david beckham was touted around a few years ago and i do think as of 2019, there is a remake in the works, whether it's actually in any sort of pre-production yeah. phases. But it would it would benefit. I agree with you, Woody. It would really... It fits any era. You know, you could replace the war easily, like me and Matt were saying the other night when we were planning the episode. If you wanted to do Escape to Victory, quote-unquote, now, with the sort of soccer stars that... Soccer stars? Jesus. Spit, bleh, football stars yeah. that we have now. You said it in the Gulf War because it's a grand coalition. Dwayne Johnson playing the Stallone character. You could have Tom Hardy playing the Kane character. And then just pick... You've, you've thought about this, haven't you? You've given this some thought. Bob Bobby Moore, Mark Noble. Um, Pele, you have Ronaldo or Mbappe or Neymar. It just works, and it will work in any era. And that's my elevator pitch, if anyone's listening. <laughs> Get Mark Noble on the blower. <laughs> and you know where Mark Noble had his first loan season? Ipswich. It was Ipswich. Oh, what a, oh, amazing. I didn't know that, but I'm really pleased I picked it up. It was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, a... You're really trying hard to please me with your Ipswich references. It's really, really important. I'm on yeah, the tractor, boys. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, that movie. And, it, you know, I mean, I was, I was, I want to clarify because we talked about this before recording that for us Ipswich fans of a certain age, it is kind of like a trophy. You know, mm. we all kind of regret. We came second in 81-8. So the year it came out, we finished second to Villa. The year when, at the end of the season, we filmed it would come third, you know, and, and we would have won that season if it had been three points for a win, which it is now. It wasn't back then. You know, there, there's a there's a 
some teams have never had glory years. With Ipswich, there's a feeling that of the three trophies we could have won in 81, we got the UEFA Cup, great, we're happy with it. We could have got the FA Cup, could have got the league the league title. So for us, as Ipswich fans, escape to victory is kind of, it's in the trophy cabinet in a weird way. You know, it's the, we're the only, it, it, it's not a real victory, but it was, you know, there, yeah. there's Kevin Beatty doubling for Michael Caine. Russell Osman still talks about it on Twitter he follows me, in fact, on Twitter. John Walks still talk. They they can dine out on that, those players, as being a highlight of their career in a weird, surreal, you know, interruption to their to their genuine careers. So it, it, it's an it's an affectionate mo- movie for the Ipswich fans, but it it, it is it's you're, at the beginning you 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 got this idea. It doesn't quite know what it is. It's a it's a perfect hybrid that somehow is so perfect doesn't work. Mm. But yeah. but it's. I mean, I don't know if we've, we've sort of skirted over five scenes this week. Um, if that's okay with you, Matt, we sort of. Well, my favourite scene is actually the scene where Bobby Moore carries a paper mache head. Oh yeah, that's mm. my favourite scene mm. <laughs> because it's so bizarre. It's only in Escape to Victory or Victory, as it's known in America, could Bobby Moore be seen carrying Stallone paper mache head yeah it's just yeah. just bizarre it's brilliant i love it and, and why like, has that never come I, up for sale on any of those prop oh, websites yeah, yeah, you know yeah. someone oh must God, have can you imagine paper mache perhaps 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 it is the paper mache stallone that went on to make the <laughs> expendables and the real stallone <laughs> retired years ago we'd never know would we it's yeah. probably the only film Stallone has ever said anal bleeding in as well. Right, yeah, he does. <laughs> is oh it, does he say that? He, he does. So there's there's a scene where they like, get in their kit and he's doing like this big speech where he's like, I'm the I'm the Medical. trainer. Yeah. 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 No blisters. If you've don't got no blisters. no blisters. That's yeah. it. Exactly. And one of the one of the things he says don't get is anal bleeding. I think he's improvising all that bit, surely, because it seems a little bit like It's very push, weird if someone scripted that, but like, yeah. Push the envelope of what you can say. It's really <laughs> weird we've had a lot of fun on this one and it sort of it defies the format in a way um but i think we should just wrap up with some final thoughts what do you think well i'll, ne- I'll never stop loving it because as i said you know i've said everything i need to say it's a it's a, it's a trophy for the ipswich team and 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 it it reminds me of being a kid it reminds me of going there with my milk crate and coming back with my program on the train it was something we talked about i said i knew about the film long before i saw it we all went to see it in the cinemas with our Ipswich kit on and 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 it was just it's just an important part of my life. And I know it's cheesy and I know it's not perfect, but I watch it, mm. you know, once a year or something. And 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 the, the football, as you say, takes your breath away some of the, the skills that are shown on the screen realistically. So it's a, it's a great it's a great movie that isn't, but is. It just reminds me of like those John Houston adventure films where it's sort of just leave your brain at the door, don't think too hard. Because I you know, watched it a couple of times for this recording and I'm like, second time around, I was like, yeah, you know what? I can't hate you that much because come on, you know, like the football scene at the end and you know, sort of got the wisecracking of the team early on and him meeting all the players. And I'm thinking, well, I'm the, I'm not the demographic for this really because I my football like love starts in like 2006 or something when I was younger. So I don't have that connection that like Woody has. But then I can appreciate all these huge names that are in it. So I can just kind of just get over the fact that it isn't the most competent movie. With the Euros coming up, it's like the perfect sort of taster 
to, to a summer of football, I think I don't think you can go too wrong. It's no sillier than Raiders of the Lost Ark or no. Empire Strikes Back, those classic summer blockbuster kind of movies that that you, yeah, as you say, you leave your brain at the door and kind of go in and just take it for what it is. And it's not trying to, you know, tell you the history of the war. It's just, yeah, we're set in the war, but you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Just enjoy it. Matt? I agree. It's, um, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's not a bad film. It's quite enjoyable. It has its positives. You know, there's some really interesting bits in there. Um, some of the sequences are beautifully shot. It's it's great to see. Where else are you going to see Pele, Michael Caine, and Stallone all in one film? Agreed. It's just, it's a bit of a bizarre movie, and and that adds to its charm. Like, like as I say, where else are you going to see Bobby Moore holding a paper mache head? You're probably never going to see that anywhere else. No. I mean, it's unique. Isn't it? It is. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fun movie. And Aussie um, Ardeal is wearing battle dress. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's exactly. so cool. It's so cool. Um, Max von Sydow doing uh, doing keepy uppies. I mean, that's yeah, just yeah, so good. that's the guy has played Jesus for for goodness yeah. sake, you yeah. know, and now he's doing keepy uppies. It's clearly it's clearly not him, folks. No. It's his boots, it's not his leg. Yeah. Oh, don't shatter them! Oh, don't no. shatter the <laughs> image for well, me. Maybe it was. I don't know. I, I, hope I, it was. I say that, but yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought Max was. Yeah, did not have a stint in Europe playing for one of the clubs. No, shaking. <laughs> yeah, Bayern Munich, surely. Yeah, Bayern Munich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I thought as well, like, because obviously we've got the Euros coming up, and it's um, football's coming home. In this one, it'd be the Allies are coming home. That and that is where. They 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 missed out by not having the song. You know that's that era when they the you got back home. I remember so yeah. much of the of the FA Cup songs and they whoever it would be, whichever year it be, Tottenham would go in and they get their top of the pop six uh, appearance where they'd go in in their in their kind of casual but not and and sing their song. That's it. Michael Caine Lee and Stallone leading them in some kind of you know. We're gonna beat the nut. That would have, that yeah. would have well, I, topped it. Capped I'm gonna film. I'm gonna try and write a uh, an anthem for this for the for the hype. So look out for that on the Twitter if I get it done. Um, yeah. It's gonna be called the Allies are coming home because they escaped. I can't wait to hear you sing. Interestingly, it. you know, you know, um, football's coming home. We just talked about, you know, Frank Skinner and that the Frank Skinner put the the original lyrics on, and there was going to be a line about Terry Butcher of Ipswich stroking hey. that line got taken out. Oh. So another another moment where Ipswich nearly always the, the bridesmaid, ne- never men. the bride, <laughs> the nearly men. <laughs> Paul, again, I think it's been fantastic having you on again. We love how much of an Ipswich fan you are. I think it's just, and you've been itching to get on and, and tell us all about it, and we've absolutely loved it. Cheers. Now it's to to think when I first saw it, that I would be invited in some kind of authoritative kind of role to talk about this movie it was just 40 years on. It's amazing. No, it's our pleasure to have you on. Um, as always, you can follow the pod on Twitter. Please like, subscribe and share wherever you're listening. And we also have Patreon now um, where you can support the podcast if you wish to. We've got some fantastic Patreon members and we're really thankful for them. Uh, wherever you're watching the Euros, wherever you're supporting this year, Good luck, and we'll catch you again in the next one. Thanks, Woody. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.